Hello, everyone. My name is Reese Lindmark, and welcome to another edition of Creating a Humanist Blockchain Future, where we focus on the intersection of effective altruism, universal basic income, the attention economy, and blockchain. And today, in episode number eight, we're going to look at the intersection of kind of effective altruism and blockchain, um, namely blockchain for social good and, and kind of the charity work that's happening in that space. And today, we're going to talk with uh, Rodri Davies, who is a, or Rodri Davies, rather, a program director of Giving Thought, a department of the charities. AIDS Foundation that focuses on policy work within kind of the philanthropy and charity from a macro perspective. Uh, so, Rodri, thanks for being on the show and welcome. Hello. Great. Nice to be here. Thanks for being here. And I'm going to call you, instead of Rodri from now on, Rod. <laughs> that's absolutely fine, yeah. Good stuff. <laughs> so, so that's happening. So I always love to start with why for people who are working in the space. And so could you tell me a little bit more about kind of why you're working at the intersection of charity and blockchain and kind of uh, how you got here? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, kind of my my day job uh, is broader than that, and that it's kind of thinking about charity and the world of charities and philanthropy from a you know reasonably big picture perspective in terms of kind of what are the factors that have influenced it and what might be coming uh, around the corner. Um, and one thing I kind of got into about three years ago, something like that, was um, just thinking about Bitcoin specifically and cryptocurrency. Um, in a pretty naive way, I didn't really know anything about it. And then I went on that journey of kind of realizing that actually, you know, it wasn't just potentially a new store of money. The the sort of features in terms of the ledger technology were interesting in a whole load of other ways. Uh, and then slowly over the last few years, I've been kind of doing bits of work and reports and things, trying to think through what some of those uh, applications and implications might be based on kind of what I know about um, the world of charities and philanthropy. Cause I'm, you know, I'm not an expert on the technical side of it, but I feel like I know enough to kind of apply my understanding of it to stuff I do know quite a lot about. So, yeah, that makes sense. I think that that's a great, that's sort of these collaborations that we're seeing happen is there are like hard kind of hardcore technologists who come in and are like mm. oh, blockchains and the consensus algorithms and proof of stake. And then you have other people like yourself who are like, oh man, I've been in charities for a long time. Oh, and here's this great new technology. And I think that the collaboration between those two people is is how essentially work is going to get done within the space. Um, and so could you talk a little bit more about kind of the why perspective though for you as a human, you know, like why did you, yeah, yeah. why are you working in, in, in this kind of the charity sector essentially? In the charity sector, um, I suppose I kind of, I mean, I fell into it slightly. I started off uh, trying to be an academic. Um, so I was, uh, ended up, I was doing kind of uh, philosophy and started doing a doctorate. Mm -hmm. Um, a quite niche area of sort of philosophy of maths, which I realized was interesting in its own right, but not really, didn't feel like it was going anywhere. And I kind of wanted to apply that sort of mindset, kind of analytic stuff to more real world things. So I got into policy and I, I sort of fell into philanthropy slightly by a series of happy accidents and really hadn't given it much thought, but then quite quickly discovered that actually I just it's a fascinating lens through which to look at a whole kind of range of other issues because it's easy to think that sort of you know charity is a niche topic but actually the idea of using kind of private means to affect public good in the world is is pretty fundamental um, and touches on a whole load of kind of things to do with political theory history you know visions of society and all that sort of stuff so I you know I haven't run out of interesting things to look into so far. Yeah, I like that. I think that there's a, yeah, the philosophy of math is interesting um, with not as many <laughs> outcomes. And this has the same amount of interestingness, uh, but with, with real outcomes. And I also like what you're saying, yeah. which is there's a more confusing it's kind of, and I was actually just talking about this with um, this uh, blockchain for social good charity called Alice SI and how mm -hmm. for a classic company, there's kind of a more clear 
uh, outcome metric, which is what is your growth rate? What is your what is the dollar for dollar exchange? And in some ways, the charity sector and kind of the nonprofit value for other sectors is more confusing, uh, and it's a more mm-hmm. complicated system with multiple with more actors essentially. Uh, so I, th- I think that there's a lot of juicy stuff within that space. Um, so yeah. could you talk a little bit more about uh, specifically some of the work that you're doing at Charities Aid Foundation, kind of diving in there, and 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 the work that you're doing with Given Thought, and especially some of the projects that you're excited by these days. Yeah, so I mean, certainly, you know, the stuff we're probably most interested in for for today is the kind of stuff that touches on tech. And that's kind of there's a a strand of what we do at Giving Thought, which we call future doing good. Um, So a lot of the blockchain works kind of sat under that and is ongoing. But we've started trying to take the same um, idea of, you know, learning enough about a technology to understand its features and applying that to the sort of stuff that that we do in in other areas. So we've been doing an increasing amount of work on uh, AI, which obviously overlaps with blockchain, but is um, kind of uh, broader as well. And some of the stuff about, you know, the role that charities might have to play in ameliorating the dangers of algorithmic bias and and that kind of thing uh we've also done stuff around other technologies like kind of augmented and virtual reality which i think again there's been a lot of focus in terms of you know how they could be used for fundraising which is interesting but i think there's quite a lot more to it uh than that in terms of both positive and negative consequences so we're we're trying to kind of keep uh you know doggedly doing the the same thing in for, for a bunch of different technologies at the moment. Yeah, that's interesting. And that is, I feel like that's relatively similar to a lot of people who are working in the space where they're like, okay, I'm excited by the future. We're now a hyper-networked, you know, human organism, <clears throat> human class, whatever you want to call mm. it. Uh, I'm not going to build a, a, an app these days, but I'm going to be thinking about AI and VR slash AR and blockchain and kind of what is the intersection of those look like within my yeah. field. Um, so that makes sense for what you're doing. I also think that another part of that that I find fascinating is, as you say, you have this part of what you're doing called future doing good. And that's kind of a macro trend that I see in the space is, you know, Dubai has a, a museum of the future. Um, and, yeah. and I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I'm not sure what like history classes will look like in the future, because right now you have a history class and you're looking at things from a really long time ago. And you're starting to see this trend, especially in kind of the tech space where things have the word future in them, because that's what you want to be thinking about and how it kind of is affected, you know, in, in the future. So, so I think that that's interesting. Do you want to talk about, so on the blockchain side of things, how does it actually I know very little about the uh, the charity work uh, kind of mm. you know world how what does this intersection look like these days in terms of the blockchain world in terms of the charity world and how do you how do you kind of see them collaborating through time yeah I mean I think it's it's important to start off by by saying it's easy to probably if you talk to the the right people in the small kind of uh middle bit of the venn diagram between the two worlds to get a sense that things are further progressed than they are because actually you know most charities and probably you know non-profits in the states are you know the vast majority of them are kind of quite small organizations with little infrastructure you know probably largely volunteer run they they don't have the time or skill set to be engaging with things like blockchain to be honest half of them probably don't have websites and you know it's so there's a whole uh, you know, there's a whole kind of job to do there in terms of getting people up to speed. I think the the thing that I've been trying to do is where possible just to make people make people in the charity world aware that this stuff is happening. And not only that, it's kind of happening at a pace at the moment that feels like you can't ignore it, because if you do, the problem is it'll happen anyway. And then you might find yourself on the sort of on the wrong side of some of the unintended consequences and you never had a chance to take advantage of any of the benefits. And 
that seems like a shame given that I think there are really some potentially quite significant benefits for charities if they can make blockchain work for them. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is in the speed of the space is is true and is relatively aggressive. Uh, the favorite stat that I like for that is three years ago at Consensus, which is this big conference, there were three mm. people, uh, three De- Deloitte had three people in blockchain, and now they have yeah. 800 people in blockchain. So it's like, <laughs> uh, that's a lot more people. And and yeah. the people talk about crypto years or whatever. And, and I think that there's a I, – I, the way that I like to think about it is like people talk about the accelerating rate of change, and I like to – and that's the – that's one of the derivatives, but I like to go one derivative deeper and think about the jerk so that it's actually the chain, rate of change itself is accelerating. Um, so it's, yeah. it's, it's happening surprisingly quickly. Um, is, so yeah. could you tell me a little bit more about – so you're trying to bring to, – to try to kind of uh, essentially educate some of the charities in the space and say, hey, this is how blockchain could be used. How – like, are the, how do you actually do that? What are some specific projects? Do you like go up to them and have meetings or do you make research papers or how does that work? Yeah, so I do. I mean, kind of definitely do discussion papers and blogs, which are kind of pitched at, you know, a sort of interested, informed audience in the charity world. But also, I think, you know, I've found there's quite an audience within uh, the kind of the broader tech sector and certainly the kind of tech for good sector in because, you know, the thing is, I, I tend to find myself in situations where I'm sitting in a room and if there's charity people in the room, I probably know more about blockchain than they do. And if I'm in a room with tech people, I probably know more about charity than they do. I don't necessarily know more about, you know, the charity than the charity people or tech than the tech people. But that's fine because nobody else has had managed to get themselves into this little space in the middle or not so many people. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm trying to, you know, do papers to kind of get people thinking about this uh, discussion and actually, you know, manage to get that into things like quite mainstream sort of trade press over here, which, you know, for the charity sector, which wouldn't normally cover anything to do with blockchain. But then, you know, I've found in the couple of years since I've been doing this, it's gone from virtually everyone within CAF itself thinking I was slightly nuts for talking about this stuff to late, you know, this September, October, I've got about five conferences that I'm talking at about blockchain, some of which are kind of blockchain conferences, but some of them are more traditional charity tech conferences. And so the people are starting to kind of see, see that this is a real thing, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah, I like that where you, you've been working in this, and this is how I felt when I like found blockchain and took the blue pill was like, Okay, I am talking about these things, and the rest of the world thinks that I'm kind of crazy. And then you go into blockchain, you're like, oh, everybody here, (laughs) you know, they they think (laughs) in a similar way. And then kind of pulling, and like you say, it can be easy for us who are working in this blockchain for social good sector to be like, oh man, there are tons of people here. Nope, there's not too many. And and kind of spreading that is, is definitely helpful. So, how do you personally see then when you're kind of giving people, when you're telling someone who's in the charity sector, hey, here are the best ways that it can kind of help you. Um, what kind of unique value proposition do you tell them? You're like, hey, blockchain is going to be kind of, you know, it's going to take work clearly to implement it, but it'll have these positive outcomes. How do, how do you talk about those? I mean, it tend, tends to be a kind of range of things from the, I think, more immediate to the much longer term. Although I have to say, maybe I've kind of got the timescales on some things wrong occasionally. I mean, I think there's some low hanging fruit in terms of challenges that charities know and understand, like uh, kind of cross-border financial payments um, and kind of having a non-geographic version of currency could help a lot there. Um, Reducing costs through disintermediation. So, you know, nothing, I mean, that's not the stuff that necessarily excites me, but actually that's probably where, you know, you're going to see early adoption. Um, But then kind of, 
you know, I've t- talked to people and taken it beyond that and said, look, you know, we're at the stage at the moment where there is a challenge in terms of just getting people to adopt the technology, partly because, you know, cryptocurrency adoption is very far from uh, universal at the moment. And whilst the barriers to kind of accessing crypto and blockchain definitely, I think, have come down in the last couple of years, it's still not that easy to just, you know, buy crypto and start experimenting with it. Um, and I think for it to really take off in the charity sector, it needs to get to a point where people who don't really care that it's blockchain technology can still benefit from it. Um, but then usually when I'm talking to people, I kind of talk to them about that pragmatic stuff until they think, oh, that sounds interesting. And then I launch into the stuff about how you could kind of automate giving through the application of AI or kind of fully decentralized charity through uh, using DAOs, uh, which they think is really fun, but then they they tend to sort of think that stuff science fiction, even though I am able to tell them that it's actually still happening now. So yeah, I think that that is, I think that what you're saying is a good point, which is that hey, here are the clear positive outcomes: the cross-border payments, the kind of hey, right. smart contracts will allow you to could do some disintermediation or add some more efficiency into your uh, culture or add add more. Do people get interested by the transparency side of things? Um, is yeah. that is that a piece as well? Yeah, you're you're right. Actually, I totally forgot about that. And that, but that's one of the the big ones, I suppose, is the you know the idea of having kind of transparent you know public ledgers with non-fungible units on it around donation transparency and actually pretty much all of the live projects that i can think of at the moment in this space have transparency as one of the key features Mm. even if they're doing other stuff as well um and i think going back to that thing because crypto usage is uh isn't ubiquitous at the moment the challenge is you know you've got to come in and out of that system at some point and at the moment your ability to stay in the system is probably quite limited. So the the value of the transparency isn't as big as it could be, but there's slightly, I keep telling people, I'm like, that is right, but we've, there's got to be a kind of bootstrapping effect where you do it at a small scale so that when adoption takes off, you're in a position to really make this stuff work. Totally. totally. Um, yeah. I think that that, and that gets into this kind of telling charities to act more like startups realm. And we're kind of seeing this kind of, you know, this good company or this good charity kind of uh, convergence of the nonprofit mm-hmm. and profit sector. And part of that is saying, hey, you know, we take some risks in the sector and maybe blockchain will be slower than we expect. And maybe your charity might not even exist in two years if you go into blockchain. But uh, if it does and it does work, then it'll you'll have, you know, bigger upsides or whatever. Um, could you talk a little bit more? So kind of zooming away from the specific work you're doing with uh, Giving Thon Charities Aid Foundation, um, and, and specifically kind of transitioning to the second part of this podcast where we talk more about uh, some of this, the macro trends within the space and something that Rod and I wanted to talk about was uh, exactly what you were saying there, which is this kind of second tier of, of systems here with the automating giving through AI mm-hmm. and DAOs. And I'm especially interested in the DAO side of things because you have a lot of like Olaf from Poly- Polychain Capital just gave this great uh, Y Combinator interview. And he was like, yeah, th- I mean, if you think about the ecosystem of um, products and services that exist around uh, companies, there are a lot. Um, and right now there are very few products and services that exist around DAOs, um, yeah. but they're going to be a huge part of in the space. So could you talk a little bit more first about how this like AI DAO, charity DAO is going to work? And then we can kind of dive into the secondary things later. Yeah, I suppose it's that that idea that I've kind of when you talk to charities about uh, sort of disintermediation and decentralization, they they get it in terms of 
at least at first, they're like, oh, yeah, disintermediation uh, of a lot of the the kind of value chains that we find ourselves in. So, you know, I would have to use necessarily kind of banks and, and multiple different agencies to get money places. But, but then when you, you kind of explain to them that actually the fact that, you know, virtually any type of asset can be recorded on a blockchain means that you can actually take all of the elements of traditional organizational structures and put them on there, but that those structures themselves can be decentralized and that actually it allows for things like um you know kind of uh legit you know logistics that at the moment that at the moment requires some degree of centralization to happen in a decentralized way and decision making as well to happen in a decentralized way uh, and make the point that actually you know it might it might actually be an existential threat to the idea of charity as we know it at the moment because if you're able to do the same social good as well, if if not possibly better through decentralized structures, um, then you know why why wouldn't you? Uh, and actually, you know, we we see in a lot of sectors, particularly in something like the international development sector, that organisations there are already having a lot of kind of soul searching conversations about the way in which they democratize what they do and they move away from a model of sort of you know western organizations imposing views about what uh, you know beneficiaries need on them and actually you know though that's very much kind of uh, goes with the grain of of the idea of kind of decentralization of structures and using things like DAOs. so actually it could just speed that process way ahead of where it's at, at the moment yeah so and, and that was something that I – and I'm glad you brought up, which is like, hey, you're telling them, hey, these DAOs might be a great way to do things going forward. And it's like – but also it might be – your charity itself might go away and turn into a DAO or what have you. Or you might become a <coughs> advisor to the DAO or you, you might be – you might have a different kind of experience with that. How do you think about – so I just read this uh, great book called Machine Platform Crowd. Which mm. talks about these three macro trends and the final macro trend is this – crowd versus core concept where you have the the crowd of people where you're like you have a bunch of and you can see it in blockchain these days where you have you're like hey i'm gonna make a, a new kind of ecosystem here and people get into it and then your slack channel before you know it has thousands of people in it who are all kind of working to to further this community um so that's kind of the the crowd at work but then there's also mm. the core side of things where you want to have you know your given set of actual you know contributing members or employees or what have you how do you think about that crowd versus core dynamic um within the charity sector um and especially with something like DAOs? yeah i think the the interesting thing about it is when i uh, initially talked about to be to people about the idea of kind of decentralization of organizational structures a lot of people said oh that's that's interesting and it might work in the the context of kind of specific uh cases and particularly around kind of delivery of services i can see how that would work but there there was much more skepticism about thing you know saying what what about kind of highly responsive reactive situations like kind of disaster response you know it's impractical then on the, the sort of logistical side and similarly um what about things like uh campaigning or advocacy organizations rather than sort of service delivery ones surely then you still need some degree of centralization for for decision making and actually i agreed with them to start with i thought oh yeah fair enough maybe it'll be limited and the thing i found fascinating is that actually over the last year or 18 months, the kind of development in thinking about DAOs, um, possibly as a result of the you know adoption of kind of um, uh, tokening and kind of use of incentive tokens in various contexts, um, has moved forward. I actually think you could overcome those those objections 
more easily uh, and that actually it is possible to come up with models for enabling people to to act at scale without a centralized core but still to to kind of avoid those problems around decision making and and kind of uh limitations on on logistics yeah um, and at the, at the end of the day i think with charities you know the only reason people ever centralized in the first place was because it, the problems they were trying to deal with got so big you couldn't just do things person to person and in order to keep it manageable you had to empower a small number of those people to have elevated status and that's why the idea of a charitable organization was born but it's not because anybody said oh we really want this we just had to do it at the time and if we don't have to anymore then why would we yeah yeah uh so that makes sense and so could you talk more about then so that when i imagine something be, being disintermediated and we've talked about it a lot of the venture capitalists have talked about it and have said things like okay you know i'm a venture capitalist but my main goal is to kind of take myself out of business here and to turn me yeah. into a DAO or to turn me into the ICOs being the main thing. And then a big question that people are asking themselves is, okay, if I'm Union Square Ventures and I am, you know, Fred Wilson, what does my, I had a bundle, a stack essentially that I was selling to people that was venture capital and that is being disintermediated and unbundled. And Fred mm -hmm. Wilson, what will his job look like in the future as a venture capitalist, uh, given that we have these new, kind of uh, ICOs and things of that variety. Can you think about the charity bundle, what it has, and then when we have the unbundling, what do you think is going to, what things do you think like uh, blockchains and AI won't, won't be able to unbundle very well? What do you think charities, what, what will the humans do in the yeah. future in a centralized yeah, way? Yeah, it's a good question because I think there's, there's some of the stuff that forms a large part of the bulk of what charities do that, that will definitely go. I mean, definitely some of the kind of transactional stuff and, I mean, you know, if the idea of, of kind of AI DAOs takes off, and particularly, you know, if you have that convergence of that with uh, other technologies like kind of Internet of Things and automated vehicles, you could see things like, you know, DAO controlled fleets of automated vehicles or kind of um, AI DAO factories and those sorts of things. And so, you know, a, a large international relief agency, there'd be no point anymore in owning a massive fleet of vehicles or having huge warehouses where it kept the, the goods for disaster relief. So it wouldn't necessarily need to do that stuff anymore. But I still think, at least in the the medium term, yeah, there will be uh, a role for, for the, you know, the, the people in those organizations. I think, you know, realistically, there'll still be a retained role around um if not decision making then kind of coordination because if you're trying to uh use campaigning or advocacy as a tool you know i think it, whilst you could see a kind of decentralized version of something like 38 degrees or change.org if it was fully decentralized with nobody uh kind of taking any of that stuff forward or coordinating it then yeah you've, you've got a thousand voices but the danger is they're just all shouting in the wilderness and they're they're not really uh, you know, coming together. I think I think the other, one of the other areas as well is, you know, there's probably realistically for various reasons going to be some role for people or organizations within any of these structures having a kind of elevated status as oracles or kind of authorities, whether that's in terms of, you know, verifying the outcomes have actually been delivered. Um, it might be um, or it might just be in terms of the kind of expertise to to understand where the most pressing problems are. You know, some of those things could potentially be automated or taken over by our own future. But I think that is a pretty long way off. So yep. Yep. I think, you know, 
charities and agencies will probably be a lot smaller in the future and their role might shift to one of kind of curation or um or kind of uh, collaboration or convening but there will still be a role for a core of those organizations definitely yeah i think that that is a good point i do agree essentially that at least at the beginning the kind of coordination and curation role will be one that uh humans will initially do especially because that's such a that's something that we haven't that we don't necessarily have the frameworks to automate yet because it's kind of new this whole new world you have a lot of people in the blockchain space who are working at this oh man how do we coordinate between the with the crowd and the core and how do we curate the information those are big questions that we're we're still thinking of and so i think that we'll kind of see humans it could be the case that we'll see humans work on those coordination questions first especially ones that are in real life and in talking with others in your community or whatever and then uh, as we start to learn more about them what that coordination actually looks like then maybe we'll be able to have um you know ai DAOs do them but we don't actually know what it looks like so who knows um yeah so the one final thing that i want to talk about here that that you're interested in talking about which uh, i'm not exactly sure how it relates but this this concept of inequality within mm. um within these these new kind of ai DAOs. uh you well, could you tell me a little bit more about how you see inequality being represented here and what we should be worried about yeah i suppose there's there's a, a couple of things i mean one of them is just that with um with all this technology, um, particularly, I think, around uh, AI, um, and uh, I think it's supposed to impact. One is the kind of impact of the AI as in terms of automation and kind of replacement of, uh, of traditional jobs. You know, we're probably going to find ourselves in a situation where there's a much smaller workforce in the future. Uh, and those in the kind of retained roles, there'll be a kind of inherent inequality between those who still work and those who don't. And an even bigger inequality between the very small number of people who own and understand the technology and everyone else. Um, I think the interesting question in a way is, are, are DAOs the solution to that? Because, you know, do they pr pr potentially provide an infrastructure for allowing the development of the technology without the danger of that? unbelievable concentration of power in a small number of hands um so i think i think that's one thing i suppose the the other is maybe not quite so much related to to dow specifically but if there is a role for ai in those um i've kind of we've explored this at giving thought in a couple of contexts and one of them is around the automation of decisions about giving um which i think will prove to be important because Whilst, whilst I think you know, some people push back on the idea of, of automated giving or kind of AI determined giving because they think taking the human element out of it is never going to be feasible. Um, there are going to be contexts in the future where there are going to be vast numbers of extremely small value transactions happening at a very, very quick pace. And it will be totally impractical for people to determine where those go. So I'm thinking of things like machine to machine transactions in uh, the internet things, for instance. And the danger there is the same one I think that a lot of people are raising about uh, AI in a lot of other contexts, which is, you know, what if these things end up being black boxes? How do we determine what the algorithms are in the first place? How do we determine that they're not having perverse consequences? And you could find that, you know, people with extremely good motivations who want to do good end up making things worse because you know they didn't realize that the algorithms they're employing were having that impact um so i think you know there are there are kind of dangers when it comes to making inequality worse rather than solving it yeah yeah i think that that 
Yeah, that's going to be a pushback. And what we've started to see some of it within this space in terms of, yeah, if you have so many people who are the people who are making the technology, whether it's Uber or Airbnb, or if you're someone who makes automated robots, like all that money goes to Silicon Valley or whatever. And, mm. and, and, and you'll see, as you're saying, there's, there's pushback both on the UBI side. There's also pushback on like, like something like platform cooperativism. Um, and I also really like a, a concept that you talked about in one of your podcasts, which was this tax on the robots themselves. So that's kind of <laughs> yeah. an interesting question here. Hey, should we, if my job gets taken by a robot, should that robot still be taxed or what have you? Um, I think that we're going to be experimenting with a lot of different uh, things in the space to know how can we make it the case that there's not drastic inequality as we move to robots and, and a small subset of people owning those robots. Um, yeah. So to kind of conclude up here, do you have any final uh, – what's, what's on the top of your mind? Any kind of non sequitur can be totally off topic, totally <laughs> on topic. Uh, one final thing that you have to say. I think it, I think it's just that kind of plea to to anybody who's working in in blockchain or you know in in the tech world or in financial services or anything. Just think about looking for use cases that are kind of relevant to the work of charities or kind of social good. Because not only is there a lot of scope for doing it, but also I think you kind of learn stuff that would be valuable in all sorts of other contexts. Because I think we're at that stage in the technology. And, you know, to people in charities, I just say retain an open mind about, you know, this kind of stuff and don't be scared off by by kind of words like blockchain and AI and everything. It isn't just science fiction. <laughs> it's oh, kind of yeah. science fiction and uh, reality are converging. The uh, Boost VC, <laughs> one of the, they have three different verticals. One of them is VR, AR. One of them is blockchain. And the other one is just sci-fi, you know. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and if you're watching a show like Black Mirror, it's like, oh, man, this is relatively similar to reality. Yeah. Um, cool. So kind of to give a macro takeaways here of what we talked about. Uh, we talked about how Rod got into the, the sector from the charity perspective and kind of exists at kind of the intersection of some of the blockchain people and knows less than them, but more about charities than they do. And then on the charity side, knows less about charities, but more about blockchain than they do. Uh, and then we talked about this concept of uh, the, the future doing good, where you kind of project out into the future and think uh, from a future perspective. Um, we talked a little bit about the specific projects that he's doing around kind of uh, essentially educating people within the space uh, on both sides of that spectrum of how blockchain can be used for good or how charities can use blockchain for good. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about the, you know, how how they respond. And so the big things are kind of the more pragmatic side where it's like, hey, cross-border payments, disintermediation or efficiency, and then kind of transparency. And then we talked a little bit more about something that is not as uh, relevant today, but is likely to be surprisingly relevant surprisingly quickly, um, which is the uh, AI DAOs and the ability to disintermediate charities with something like a DAO, the overlap of how crowds and cores should interact within charity and what that kind of unbundling looks like of the charities. And then finally, at the end, we talked a little bit about inequality and making sure that as this automation happens, whatever it looks like, um, that we are both... Uh, have an equal-ish system and that the uh, that when AIs are doing kind of fast machine-to-machine transactions that um, those are that we are somehow know that they are aligned with what humanity wants. <laughs> that is the goal. Um, so, uh, Rod, thank you so much again for your time today. And everybody, no, I recommend... Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. I recommend, yeah, definitely going on to... I actually hyper-recommend if you're into this blockchain for social good space and specifically like tech for good, I recommend uh, Rod's podcast called Giving Thought. Uh, also, if you want to support me on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash Landmark. That's slash R-H-Y-S-L-I-N-D-M-A-R-K. Thanks, everybody, for your time, and goodbye. Bye.